tonight for finishing. We're going to continue on. Again, guys, just going to let you know, we're going to kind of move along a little quicker through the book of 1 Peter um, because Peter is going to touch on subjects um, coming up here that he's already kind of touched on a little bit, so we don't need to so much reiterate on those things. And again, not doing an in-depth study, just kind of reading through some verses and looking at there of maybe what would God speak to us in our marriages. And tonight, uh, I think the Lord definitely wants to speak and minister some things to all of us. So 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 8. And uh, we'll go down to verse 16 tonight. But finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and courteous. And again, to sum it all up, and, and Peter's going to give five ways of acting and conducting. And I would say kind of like as we've looked at government, as we've looked at employee, as we've looked at marriage, maybe this might be uh, our neighbor or you know, those around us uh, in a sense. Um, but he gives us five things, and that's to be one mind, having compassion for one. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry for those online. <laughs> having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted and courteous. Verse nine: Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that. Um, you were called to this, that you might inherit the blessing. Listen, this life we're living is not about getting revenge. It should be for us as believers about giving a blessing to every single one we meet. Um, there was a book written in the 1700s by a, a monk. His name was Brother Lawrence, and it was called Practicing the Presence of God. And through that, if you've never read it, it's a great little book. But it, uh, it, it, through it, he's just, and he worked in the kitchen. You know, he was just kitchen help, and yet for him, he always wanted to practice the presence of God. And so he was encouraging people to, to, to do that throughout your day. Always be thinking about God and practicing the presence. And then I just finished a book um, called um, Letters to a Modern Mystic, written in the 1930s by a guy, um, uh, Frank Lamock. And he actually kind of takes that subject matter and kind of even goes further with it in talking about how can we practice the presence of God. And, and one of the things that, one of the ways he did, and something I've, I've been trying to put into practice, is he says when he was out walking among the people that God had called him to go minister to, um, he would just see them and he would quietly in his own heart be praying for those people. People that he met, people that he just saw walking by, and what he said it did was it, it just kind of, it, it just turned his heart towards heaven and just kind of helped him, you know, in focusing in on the things of God. And yet he said when he would do that, he would walk away with a blessing. And I noticed for myself when I begin trying to put that into practice of seeing people and maybe just praying for them in my heart, I'm the one I leave with a blessing. And that's really what the Lord would want for all of us. Verse 10 for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And again, we talked about this last week. The words we speak should give life and hope. Uh, it shouldn't be about lies and deceits. And again, as he says, you want uh, to love life and see good days, refrain your tongue from evil and deception. You know, um, yesterday when I was in the foyer, 
um, standing there in between one of the services. The first, the service had got out and the next one was kind of slowly coming in, but a guy walks up and he's got his mask in his hands. And he comes up and he stands right next to me. And I'm kind of like, okay. And I look over and he goes, you know, this blankety blank blank thing is just idiotic and we shouldn't be wearing it. And I'm like, first I had to, th did that guy really just say what I thought he said? Listen, if you're going to come to church and start cussing, <laughs> I mean, I guess you need to be there, but I see this guy there all the time. And I know that he wanted me to engage him. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not even going to respond to that. I mean, it's just like, really, Lord? Um, you know, and he kind of looked at me, he said something under his breath and then walked off and I'm just sitting there. And then I'm kind of replaying that. He did just say what I thought he said. And again, like for us as believers, we should, as best we can, keep our lips, our tongues from evil things, speaking evil. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And here's where we get the precious peace part of the message tonight, uh, which we should be seeking and pursuing. And, and again, as we've talked about, this is that Colossians 3, the karate kid, you know, the wax on, wax off, the, the putting off the things of the flesh and putting on the things of the spirit. That's how we do that. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. I say amen to that. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. For us as children of God to know that God's eyes are on us, God's ears are listening to us, uh, to, to talk with him. But again, listen, listen, those who do evil, God is not for them. In fact, God is against them. He will fight against them. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Again, when we're doing right, we normally don't have to worry about being punished in a sense of, of doing right. But he goes on to say, verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, he's talked about this before, you are blessed. Again, that this is grace. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Again, Peter is going to continue to talk about the subject of suffering, which we've looked at, and we're going to look at again extensively next week. And yet as part of our lives, as part of being followers of Jesus Christ, the word would tell us, do not be afraid. Man, what a word through this time. Do not be afraid. And yet this is a quote from Isaiah, which is basically Isaiah saying, hey, we need to fear God rather than man. Man, the fear of man is a trap. And when we fall into that trap, it's just this hole that gets deeper and deeper and deeper in doing that. But, but again, who did Jesus say? Jesus said, listen, don't even, we shouldn't even fear death as Christians. Jesus said, don't fear him uh, who can, has power over to kill your body, but fear him who has power over your soul. That's the one we should fear. But again, then it goes on in verse 15. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And again, if we call ourselves Christians, we should not live in fear because we are set apart to the Lord. And we don't fear what man can do, even death, because we have the hope of our resurrection, resurrected Savior. And we should never be ashamed to let people know of that hope within us, that God is our hope. He is the, he is the world's hope. He is the only hope. 
Having a good conscience, verse 16 says, that when they defame you as evildoers, um, those who revile you, revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And again, Peter continuing to talk about our actions and our conduct. And basically, if our conduct, our actions are honoring to the Lord, um, ultimately, we don't have anything to worry about. So where did the ladies go tonight? Amen. Okay, well, the ladies go, I don't know, this is probably dating myself, but any of you that is old enough, remember that store, Spencer's, that was like the cool store for teenagers to go to. Well, they used to have this little, these little monkey figurines in there, and I think they have gnomes or little, I don't know what they are, little things, and it was the little monkey that had two hands on his ears, two hands on his eyes, and two hands over his mouth, and the little thing at the bottom said, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. So I looked that up, and it says it actually is an ancient Chinese proverb, but as you look at this chapter tonight, I think that he, the ancient Chinese maybe borrowed it from Peter because that's exactly <laughs> what Peter's going to talk about tonight. So that's kind of where I'm going. That's where the ladies are going with this tonight. Just Again, as Pat said, um, this portion of scripture tonight, it starts with the word finally, and it doesn't really mean finally like, um, in conclusion, I'm done, but really he's kind of summing up as Pat said, some of the ideas and the topics that we have been going over for the last several weeks about submission and serving one another and just the where our heart and attitude should be in that. So if you start in verse 8, it starts off by saying, all of you be of one mind. And I just, I love that idea of just be of one mind. And I just thought, you know, for us as ladies, maybe guys too, but I know for myself in particular, the battles often begin in our minds. Wrong thoughts, wrong assumptions, you know, or, or I presume that you meant this. Allowing my mind to dwell on things that were done or said and then letting them fester. And so Peter starts right there. And so his first um, little um, idea here is, I put think no evil. If the battle begins in my mind, then I should be challenged to think no evil. This verse tells us that we are to be of one mind. We are to be like-minded. In one of the versions, it said, be agreeable. You know, how many times couples just can't even agree? You know, just want to argue about everything. Philippians 2, um, verses 2 through 5 say this, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's the key right there. I can be like-minded with my spouse when I'm willing to esteem my spouse better than myself. When I put his needs or his idea or ahead of mine, um, rather than always thinking that's gotta be my way, and it goes on in Philippians to say, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So if we want to be like-minded, we as women and as wives, we need to have the mind of Christ and we need to think no evil. We need to stop thinking the worst about our spouse, imagining the worst, and instead, the verse goes on to tell us, having compassion for one another. If my thoughts were about caring for other people, especially my spouse, then I won't be thinking so much about me first. I can be more sympathetic, more um, tuned in to his needs, his, his concerns, and not just my own. Jesus was the master of looking out for others first. 
and we need to follow in his example, as we've learned in previous weeks. It goes on to say in this verse 8 that we are to love as brothers and be tender-hearted. Again, that just means to be kind, to be generous, to be forgiving, not to be cold-hearted and callous. You know, and when you think about it, what is the opposite of tender-hearted is to be hard-hearted. So Peter is telling us, don't be hard-hearted. Be tender-hearted towards your spouse. And um, I love the word just be courteous. We live in a world where courtesy and being courteous to one another is like, oh, man, that's from the dark ages. But you know what? When you think about it, courteousness is just a you-first mentality. It's a mentality of, here, you go first. Here, I defer to you. Here, you take that. And I, I like that because that's the attitude we are to have. That's an attitude that's willing to graciously serve and defers to a spouse. So that's our first thing was to think no evil. Then in verse 9, he goes on, and I titled this one, Do No Evil, because he says, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So again, as Pat pointed out, this is a challenge for us as wives. No revenge, no retaliation, no paybacks. Instead, we need to be the Proverbs 31 woman, and this is what it says about her in verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So that's a challenge for each of us for the rest of our lives, all the days of our lives, to do our spouse good and not evil. If we were created to be their helpmates, then we need to help. We need to come alongside and do them good all the days of our life. We need to use our energy and our time and our strength, and we need to have our hearts fixed upon that place of wanting to come alongside and be a blessing to our spouse and not to cause him evil. It goes on in that verse to say, to this you were called. Again, we've, we've heard that phrase a couple of times in Peter already. To this you were called. It's kind of like, if you want to know what your calling is, here's your checklist. Well, here's another thing on our checklist. To do no evil, that you might inherit a blessing. If this is our calling, it's our job, ladies, to be a blessing. And you know what? You might think, well, he doesn't even notice. He doesn't appreciate me. God sees, and he will reward your labor of love. The next thing that I see in verse 10 that Peter tells us is to speak no evil. He says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lip from speaking deceit. Do I want a happy home and to enjoy good days? I can do my part. And my part is to stop murmuring, stop complaining, stop exaggerating things or nagging or condemning. And rather than telling other people about all of my husband's faults and failures, I need to go tell Jesus my concerns in prayer. Let the Lord fix him and me in the process. So that's the call in this one in verse 10, to speak no evil. Peter continues on in verse 11, he tells us to turn from evil. Let him turn away from evil and do good. In the message, it reads like this, snub evil, snub evil and cultivate good. So I kind of um, summarize that by pull the weeds and plant the seeds. We need to get rid of the sin that's in our lives, and we need to be planting the things of the Lord. Galatians 6-7 says this, God is not mocked. We will reap whatever we sow. If the Spirit is convicting me in any area of my life as a wife, 
I need to admit it, ask forgiveness. I need to repent and turn away, as the verse tells me, turn away from evil, and then do what is right. It's just as simple as that. There's no room for excuses or justification or rationalizing, well, he did this, so I did that. The word tells me to turn away from evil and do good. Psalm 34, 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's exactly what Peter probably is quoting from and exhorting us to do. You know, ladies, for us as women and as wives, don't believe the lie. It's not hurting anyone. Secret sins do hurt. They will hurt and even destroy our marriages. Isaiah 48, 22 says this, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. When we are um, living under guilt or shame or hiding things that we know are not right, that we need to confess before the Lord, it's going to rob us of joy and peace, and it's going to affect our relationship and our home. So Peter tells us, turn from evil and run after peace instead. He goes on in that verse to say, let him or her seek peace and pursue it. In the Amplified, it says this, search for peace with God, self, and others and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. I really like that because first of all, he says, search for peace with God, with yourself, and with others. You need to be right with God. You need to be able to settle those things in your heart that are wrong and get them right with God and with others, with your spouse. You need to be searching for peace with your husband and with the people that are around you and pursue it eagerly. That means we need to be busy about doing this, not just thinking, God, I wish our house was a more peaceful place, but then doing nothing to change anything. One of the virgins said, run after peace for all your worth. That means with every ounce of energy we have, run after peace. Remember what Isaiah 26 tells us? He will keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on him. We need to do everything that we can do to be right with the Lord so that we can experience that perfect peace in our own hearts and then be able to share that kind of peace with our spouse and in our homes. And you might say, well, why? Well, verse 12 tells us why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If I don't turn from evil, if I choose to dabble in my secret sins and my wrong attitudes and say, well, he's acting like this, so I'm going to act like that, I am choosing to not be under the loving, protective care of my Lord Jesus Christ. That is a dangerous place to be. But when I say, I don't need that, I'm doing it my way, he deserves to hear me or whatever, you know, I want to try to justify it with, I am in that dangerous place where the Lord he turns his back on that. He, he can't. It says he's against those that do evil. So I don't want to be that place, in that place. Peter goes on in verse 13 to exhort us to fear no evil. It says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? When, as Pat, you said this, and I think I wrote it almost exactly the same way. When we are living rightly, when we are living according to God's standards, we really are not going to have to fear punishment. We won't, in most circumstances, not get any punishment because we're doing what God expects. You know, it kind of reminded me of, I don't know how many of you had other siblings and maybe an older sibling, and when you were growing up, 
And the older sibling was always kind of the trailblazer. They were the ones that did things that they knew weren't right to see what mom and dad would do, and they got the punishment. And for the rest of us, we could learn and stand back and go, oh, not doing that. that. That didn't work out so well for him or her. And so that kind of to me that, you know, I don't need to fear evil because I'm not going to go there, so I don't have to fear the punishment. Proverbs 16:7 says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, again, your enemy, your husband is not your enemy. But this still, this principle still applies because when my ways are pleasing to the Lord, when I am living right, I don't need to fear evil. And our home is going to be a, a place of blessing. There's going to be peace. My husband will even be at peace with me because I'm go doing things God's way. In verse 14, it does say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. We don't need to fear what people can say or do to us. Peter understood this from personal experience. Remember in the book of Acts, there's different accounts of him being arrested and even in one circumstance, he was arrested and he was beaten and then they were released. And that was in Acts chapter five. And this is what they said in verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And that's the attitude of this verse that Peter's talking about. If by chance the Lord does allow you to suffer for being a believer, for standing for righteousness, whether it be at home because of some circumstance and your husband says something maybe not so kind, or in your workplace or in your neighborhood, you know what, we can rejoice in the fact that God counted you worthy to be his ambassador. If God allows us to suffer for doing what is right, he sees and he's gonna reward. Matthew 5.11 says this, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. God's going to reward that. The world might mock and make fun, but that's okay. God sees, and he's going to bless. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, we kind of went over this, this same idea of maybe suffering for the Lord's sake or for being, living righteously. And do you remember what the verse told us? This is commendable before God. That tells me this is pleasing to God. So if you want to know how do I please God, just live righteously and uh, allow God, whatever he allows in your life, walk through it faithfully and know that he sees. Psalm 34 verse 7 says this, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and he delivers them. And again, that's just a promise for us that if he allows us to go through any kind of suffering for his name's sake, he's right there with us, he's protecting us, and he's going to deliver us. Now, as for our marriages, prayerfully, there are no threats, no beatings, or none of these other negative things that we just talked about going on in our relationships. But even in everyday life with our spouse, there's times when maybe you might be insulted or offended or disappointed, et cetera, et cetera. Will we choose to be like Jesus, to choose to love that kind of love that covers over a multitude of sin, choose to forgive and show grace, that's what this verse is calling us to do, to live like Jesus did. So now we've looked at 
thinking no evil, doing no evil, speaking no evil, turning from evil, and fearing no evil. And the final one that I saw here in verse 15 is Peter encourages us to overcome evil. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. My heart should be the Lord's sanctuary. You know, one of the versions said, being completely devoted to Christ in your heart. And I have to ask myself, is my heart completely devoted to Jesus Christ? I like to say that it is, but sometimes I find other things bump him out of first place and become more important, more pressing, and I have to be really careful of that. This verse, if I want to be able to overcome evil in my life, Jesus needs to be number one in my heart. I need to give him that first place in my heart. The only other person that should come close is our spouse. They could be number two, but Jesus should be number one. A humble heart that honors God and seeks him, especially when we're facing issues, that is where we're going to find strength when Jesus is ruling and reigning in my heart. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that's in this world. And that's a promise. So when we're trying to overcome evil in our lives, we need to have Jesus there fighting the battle for us. This is our answer of hope to anybody who wants to know how and why we stand against evil. How we live as godly women and as wives. It's not self-confidence or self-help or pride, but it's a gentle assurance that we will be victorious through Jesus Christ the one who strengthens us. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is he or she who overcomes the world, but she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And just in case the world still accuses you, verse 16 goes on to say, Keep a clear conscience before God. And this is how it reads in the message. I like this, this version. Keep a clear conscience before God, so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick they'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need the bath. I just thought that was a great way of looking at it. So you know what? The world is going to accuse. The world doesn't love Christianity. They don't love Jesus. So they're going to look for reasons to, to pick you apart. But don't worry about it. You keep your conscience clear before God. And then when people start slinging the mud, you know what? God is on your side. We'll humble ourselves before the Lord. He will lift us up in his time. Romans 12, 21 says, do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're called to shine for Jesus in the world, in our homes, which will make our husbands be blessed. Daniel 12, 3 said this, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. That's the kind of wives we're called to be, ones that shine with Jesus. Amen, amen. And guys, um, again, if we're going to experience peace, precious peace uh, within our marriages, um, if we're going to seek and pursue peace, uh, verse 8 kind of walks us through the way in which we can do that. And again, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted and, and, and courteous. And again, I'm just going to kind of cruise through these here. But one mind or kind of living in harmony. And again, as Mary shared that scripture, Philippians says that we are to be uh, with one mind striving together. It doesn't say fighting uh, together. It says striving together to be of one mind, not pushing each other's buttons. Again, 
Guys, listen, peace does not just happen because I want it to happen. It's something that if we desire it to happen within our marriage, we have to seek it, we have to desire, we have to want it. We need to be pursuing it on a daily basis. I've shared this before. I, you know, tell my wife all the time, I need my home to be an Engedi. And Engedi was the place that David went for refuge when Saul was, you know, after him, it was like this oasis. And, and I say, I want my home to be that place of peace or when I come in and stuff. But again, I can't just tell her that and then expect it to happen. I have to be a part of making it happen. I'm the one that needs to seek and pursue and to do all of those things. And yet again, if there's areas within our lives, within our marriages that we're fighting about, again, stop and remember, it takes two people to fight. And if we're going to continue to fight, well, then we're going to have that. I meet with an older guy and, uh, you know, been married. And, and every time I meet with them, it's usually when they're having some pretty major problems. And he tells me his age. And he goes, man, I'm just tired of fighting. And I look at him and I said, well, then stop it. <laughs> you're a part of the issue. If, you're, if there's a fighting going on, you're also lending to it. And to me, it's like, man, that just, I would think you would get tired, tired of just wanting to, to have that kind of wrestling and that fighting that's going on. But again, when one person will stop, then we can, the fighting can slowly, you know, disintegrate and we can get that peace that we need. And again, when that word, when it says striving together is to make great efforts to achieve something. You know what I have found? It doesn't take a lot of effort for me to fight with my wife. <laughs> Almost none, you know, but it takes a lot of effort for us to experience God's peace within the marriage. And, and, and yet, again, that's what he's saying. We're striving together, not against each other, but together uh, that we want to strive to have peace within the home. If you want peace, if you want harmony, uh, again, listen, the enemy's going to battle. Uh, the world is going to battle. And we need to understand that that, uh, that battle is going to happen. And yet, if we stand together, if we're striving together, then we can defeat that and get that peace within the marriage. But we need to be one-minded. Then compassion. Again, compassion is kind of concern for others. It's something that Jesus has for each one of us. The Bible says oftentimes that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes because he saw them and he, saw, he wanted to kind of jump in and, and kind of help out and, and, and to kind of help them navigate the things that they were going through. You know, there's a, a, a thing that said, and because we actually have sitting here tonight a police officer and an ambulance driver, you know, when there's an accident or the scene of a crime, when the police officer shows up, he is looking to figure out who's at fault and what's going on and, and what was the problem that caused that. The ambulance driver, when they show up on the scene, they're looking for who's hurt and how can I help. And yet I would believe that as this word compassion is being used, and for myself, um, Pat, would you have compassion? Would you not just show up on the scene and, you know, and, and okay, who's at fault? And, you know, and who's causing the issues? Or who's causing the problems? I know when we had our, our grandkids living with us, it was like this kind of thing going on almost nightly. And so I'd be running in there like, okay, who did what? You know, and stuff. And the, whoever was crying, Mary would run in and grab the kid that's crying and just hold them. So, see, that's compassion. <laughs> I, I'm just kind of trying to figure out what, 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 what's going on and, and who did that. I think the Lord would ask us men uh, to be compassionate towards our wives, 
to not like just always like try to figure out, okay, what's going on or, or that, but just having compassion. That's what I believe our wives would want. You know, the story of the prodigal son, it says when he came to his senses, he went and returned back home. And it said, when he, he rose, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Again, when we have compassion, it's not all about just pointing out the faults. Because listen, the, the father of the prodigal son, he could have sat there and pointed out all of the faults of the kid. He was just thankful and happy that he was there. Listen, guys, I, I know I, I, I want my wife just to be happy and excited that, that I'm here, that I'm with her, that we're, we're together. And again, when we're showing that compassion, we give the Holy Spirit opportunity to work, to bring about his love, his joy, his peace, those things. You know, and again, you just never know. Yesterday morning, okay, Sunday morning, um, about quarter to nine, I'm back in the green room, I get a call from Mary. Hey, listen, I just had a flat tire. I'm on the freeway. But it wasn't just a flat tire. I mean, the tire exploded, and it was almost like kind of rolling on the rim. And the good thing was she was over in the, in, the, in the slow lane, so she just pulled over. And I'm like, okay, okay, um, well, yeah, maybe we should call a tow truck and stuff. But then I'm like, no, okay, I'll be right there. So I go running over there to, to, to her. Now, I could have got there and said, okay, what the heck did you hit? Or how did this happen? Or, you know, things like that. <laughs> which I was so thankful I didn't do that. Thank you, Jesus. And, and yet I just showed up because I could tell on the phone, you know what? She's shaken up. She's worried. I mean, having that happen, if you've had that happen, it's, it's kind of can be a little serious. And yet I showed up. I mean, she actually had the tire out and the, the, the thing to put the, the jack and everything. She was going to do it. I go, no, 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 I'll do it. But she called a tow truck. He said, I'll be there in about a half hour. And I go, tell him it'll be done. So don't worry about it. But again, do we have that compassion? for our wives. I think our wives desire it. And I know, like, even when I brought Mary back to church, she's like, I'm going to go sit in my office for just a little bit, <laughs> kind of, because I could tell she was still shaken by what just happened. And so, yes, she needed a husband that was compassionate. Next one was brotherly love. Brotherly love. Again, this is the phileo type of love. Again, in the Greek, there's the three main words that is used, or where we get the, the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this is actually that kind of love. Romans 12 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. So this is the kind of love uh, that gives preference to one another. It gives preference to our wives. It's the friendship kind of love, that we would look at our wives as our friend rather than the enemy. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know for us, when we have a disagreement, um, I'm not always looking at her as, as my friend. And especially if it gets a little heated, I'm definitely not looking at her as my friend. But I have found that when I'm looking at her the, as the enemy, man, the enemy just wants to keep me there and pounce on me. And it's like, no, 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 I want to fight that. I don't want to look at her. I want to look at her as my friend. And when I do, man, peace happens so much easier. Again, is there the desire within our hearts have our wives as our friend. Listen, she married you to have a friend, to have to hold through good times, through the storms, through sickness and health. Uh, I, I'm doing a wedding in a couple weeks, and I asked, as I oftentimes do, hey, do you want anything shared at your wedding? You want a scripture shared or something shared at the wedding? And the bride said, I want you to share on the meaning of love, the meaning of marriage, 
and the meaning of commitment. <laughs> and I was cracking up. I'm like, okay, you just gave me a three-point ser- sermon for your marriage, but sure, I'll do that. And again, it's so simple. And for me, like, in a sense of the meaning of love, First Corinthians 13, what love is, what love is not. Love is patient, love is kind. And then all the things that love isn't. The meaning of marriage, you go into Genesis chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two should become one flesh, oneness is what God designed marriage to be. Oneness is what it was created for. This is the meaning of marriage. But then commitment. And I sat and I thought about, okay, commitment, what is that? And then I was reminded of Jesus' words when he said, no greater love than this for a man to lay down his life for a friend. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's commitment. That's somebody who's committed when they're willing to lay down their life. And again, guys, are we willing to lay down our lives for our friend, for our wives? Again, men, do we want to experience that peace within the home? We need to be willing to lay down our lives. Again, this is what the scripture says. Husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And we are to follow that example. Are we willing to lay down our lives? And then tenderhearted. And again, as Mary said, a kind, gentle, sentimental nature or that is sympathetic, showing approval of or favor towards. And I read this as one of the definitions, I like this. Um, Attracting the liking of others. I'm gonna read that one more time. Attracting the liking of others. In a sense, acting in such a way that you're getting the other person to like you. Listen, guys, I don't know about you, but I know I did that a lot when we were dating. That's what I wanted. I wanted this woman to like me, so I acted in such a way that she would like me. And again, tenderhearted, where she wants to draw close because our conduct, our actions to her are tender. And again, that also, it brings forth peace within the relationship. And then lastly, courteous. You know, this is the only place in the Bible where this word is used, and it's humble-minded show friendliness or concern for others. This is the simply being polite, being polite to others. It's something, as Mary shared, oftentimes missing in our fast-paced society. People are in such a hurry. But, but again, men, for us, doing those very simple things, maybe we were doing when we were first dating. Maybe we opened the door. Maybe we made sure we said, thank you, you know, uh, um, you know, maybe we let her go first. We were yielding. We, we didn't burp or fart or, you know, spit in her presence, that kind of a thing. We were giving her our attention. We kept our word when we asked her things or said things to her. That's the being courteous. Again, I read this about happy couples and what makes happy couples. And they did kind of this little list. And these are some of the things on the list. Happy couples, they make time for each other. Happy couples give each other a good night kiss. Okay, time to kiss. Okay, they give a good night kiss. Happy couples don't go to bed mad. Happy couples say, I love you a lot. They have date nights. They make sacrifices for each other. They laugh together. They watch each other's back. They are patient. They listen. They don't tell private things to others. They're spontaneous. They make time for intimacy. All of these things are what would be considered courteous um, within the relationship. And so for us, are we willing to do that, to be of one mind, to have that compassion, 
to have the friendship, love, tender-hearted, and courteous. And when we will put those things into practice, man, we're going to experience that precious marriage that the Lord has for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and how you use it to speak and to minister to our hearts. And Lord, I uh, thank you for your love and your grace. And I pray and ask, Lord, tonight you just continue to be with us, continue to speak and to minister to our hearts, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to come out and just to spend a little time uh, doing that. Praying as you continue to watch over us, Lord. Help us as husbands, help us as wives. Lord, as we read your word, as we hear your word, that we would put off those things of the flesh, put on the things of the spirit. We would be yielded to you and yielded to each other. And God, may each one of our homes or houses experience your peace that precious peace that you have for us. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying, amen. amen.